Amen. So tonight, uh, we are closing our series that we've been in for the past eight weeks. That's called Kingdom Culture. And the, the series has been, for me, both a joy and a challenge. And I, I hope it's been the same for you, both a joy to see the promises of God, but a challenge because the blessings that Jesus lays out that are the values of his kingdom are difficult and they're hard uh, to swallow, they're hard to apply, and yet we are told by Christ that these things will bring blessing. And we've defined over the series what the word blessing means, which is important. Uh, blessing means fulfillment and happiness and flourishing. It's, it's connected to the Hebrew word shalom, which is the idea of completion and wholeness and fulfillment. And so Jesus, in these eight blessings, the very beginning of his very famous Sermon on the Mount, he says, here are the values of my kingdom. There are eight blessings that will bring flourishing and fulfillment and happiness. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. And blessed are those who mourn. And the meek. And those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And those who are merciful. And the pure in heart. And the peacemakers. And then tonight we arrive at the last blessing, which is blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus ends this section of his sermon where he began it. There's a bookend here. If you notice, in the very beginning, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he says here, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for, righteousness sake, for theirs is what? The kingdom of heaven. He's bookending it, and the reason he's bookending it is because he wants us to understand as we are reading God's word and as we're understanding and trying to, to tease out, okay, Jesus, what is the culture of your kingdom? What are the values that you elevate? What does it mean for me to be a follower and a citizen of your kingdom? And so he bookends it by saying, here it is. Here are eight things. And he lists them, and he goes down the line. And if you notice when you look at this, the first seven blessings have like an action step. They have something for you to live out, right? Uh, the, the poor in spirit, to mourn, to be meek, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, which is to, to struggle to live like Jesus, to be merciful, to be pure in heart, to be a peacemaker. But the last blessing has no action step. There's nothing for you to live out, actually, being persecuted is poured out upon you by others. And so what Jesus is doing here, he's essentially saying, if you're a citizen of my kingdom, if by faith you have come into a relationship with me and now you are a part of my kingdom that you did not earn, that you did not deserve, but by faith you have been invited in, and I'm giving you the values of my kingdom that are going to bring flourishing and fulfillment and satisfaction and happiness, the first seven, there's an action step for you. But this last one, is an outcome. If you're living out the first seven, the eighth is going to be true. Blessed are the persecuted. And that's a really hard thing to swallow because you're, you're looking at it and you're thinking about this series and you're processing everything and you're, you're like, well, if the outcome is persecution, why in the world would I follow the first seven blessings? That doesn't make any sense. How is persecution going to bring fulfillment and flourishing and happiness. Like, those things do not go hand in hand. And what we want to do tonight is instead of sharing an illustration 
or sharing a story, uh, what we want to, to do is invite someone forward that has experienced this, that has lived as a citizen and a follower of Christ according to his kingdom, that has elevated the values and the blessings that we've been speaking about for seven weeks now, and as a result has experienced persecution for their faith, but also the blessing that comes with that, the fulfillment and the happiness and the flourishing that comes with that, even though that doesn't make any sense when you think about it. And yet God has been faithful and God has worked in David's life, who I'm going to invite forward in a moment. Let me tell you a little bit about David. David uh, was born in a city I cannot pronounce in Uzbekistan. In 1969, he has a wife, Marina, and three daughters, uh, Masha, Alexandra, and Vera. He became a believer in 1991, and within a few years was sent to plant a church in another city in Uzbekistan I cannot pronounce. And the church started to grow fast, and many um, from the Islamic tradition and, and others came to faith in Jesus. And the fact that Muslims were being converted to Christianity uh, caused a problem with the, the government and the authorities. And uh, David had been summoned many times to the local prosecutor's office, and he was told, quote, unquote, to kick the Uzbeks out of the church. Like, you, you got to kick them out of the church. And he refused to obey, and he continued to preach uh, to everyone and to anyone. And in February 2007, he was arrested and later sentenced to four years in prison for uh, extremism and the distribution of extremist materials that de facto uh, were preaching the gospel and was causing a distribution of New Testaments. So in prison, uh, he was beaten and tortured, and prison authorities were pushing for him to renounce his faith in Christ. He endured the mockery, and, and he stayed strong in his faith. And before his sentence was over, he actually received three more years uh, to his sentence for misbehavior. However, uh, God miraculously freed David from prison and allowed him to relocate to Ukraine in 2013 and eventually here to the U.S. Uh, on asylum in 2016. And so I want to welcome up David and Arseni, who's going to be translating for him. If you guys could welcome him up. You can take that. Praise the Lord. Thank you very much, Pastor, for the invitation. I already love him from the beginning because Wade would always talk about him. I love the whole church because Wade has already been telling me about you guys. This is actually the first church that we visited in America almost two years ago. You guys have grown a lot. I will not die but proclaim the works of the Lord. Psalm 118 verse 17 is a piece of scripture that has come alive in my life. Why this place from the Bible? They took me straight from the church service. I wasn't even able to finish it. And if I'm honest with you today, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready. 
when they brought when they brought me into the cell. I thought I would rather die. I didn't know what to do. Thankfully, they placed me in an isolation cell. I thought I should pray. I've been teaching many years that this is what you must do. Now I should practice it. And I couldn't pray. I came to the bars, I lifted my eyes, and I couldn't pray. And then I, I forced myself. Probably the most unspiritual prayer. I said, Lord, why? Why me? I'm not Apostle Paul. Why now? We, we just bought the building for the church. Aren't there other pastors out there? Why me? <laughs> I couldn't understand. And thank the Lord that sometimes he hears even those prayers. No matter how hard it is, always pray. The Lord worked many miracles throughout these four years. Uh, something else that helped me. Uh, something that I always say that my biggest hero after Jesus is my wife. Over 700 miles she would come to visit me. I would say, okay, for the longer visits you can come, but for the shorter ones, don't. The short visit is um, over the phone through the screen for about two hours. Of course, secretly I was in anguish because I did want her to come. Not just to see her. She would pick up the phone and quickly recite uh, scripture to me. She would memorize it and uh, quickly recite it to me so the officer couldn't hear it. This was the only word I was able to hear over four years. Something else that helped me. Over time, people would come up to me. They would say, you're different. I'd say, how am I different? There's a, there's a lot of extremists here, but you're some kind of different extremists. <laughs> you haven't cursed the president once. You haven't cursed the government once. They're killing you here, but you haven't said a word on anybody. I was shocked at how closely they were scanning my life. But it, this in turn helped me. Because people watch unbelievers how they go through trials. Not when it's easy for us. They want to see what Jesus gives to us when things aren't going well. So this helped me. Something else. Uh, evangelizing the people. One of the main guards made it very clear to me that he would find a way to kill me if he found out that I was evangelizing the people. I will find a way to make some sort of a fortunate event and you will die. Was I scared? Yes. But I would evangelize secretly. Uh, little by little. At the end of my sentence, we had a, a little group. 
что не зря. Ну, один человек, большой человек, ладно. We had people uh, that would come to Christ and I thought this was worth it. Что бы ни случилось, проповедуй Евангелие. Whatever happens, uh, evangelize. Вообще было не просто, конечно, там. Было не просто, конечно, там. Oh, it wasn't, it was not easy there. И мне хотели добавить еще три года. They wanted to add another three, uh, three years to my sentence. Одна из самых тяжелых пыток там, это дают карцер, 15 суток. One of the most extreme punishments that they do to you is an um, isolation cell for 15 days. This is a small cell that reaches about negative 20 degrees in the winter. And for them to add three years to your sentence, they, have, they must assign to you three, uh, three terms of isolation cell. I did two terms. On the third term, I was ready to give up my life. And the only thing that held me together was the Lord's prayer. And suddenly on the third day, they released me. And in a couple of weeks, they released me completely. I immediately called Wade and I asked, Who's, who got involved? He said, I don't know. I lived, for about, I lived in America for about two years and I'm still wondering, who, who got involved? And I can't find him. Uh, one pastor asked me, why? Why do you search? And I would say, I would, I would like to thank them. He says, maybe the call came straight from heaven. And I like this version. So I will not die, but proclaim the works of the Lord. My friends, thousands of postcards came to me every month. And if there was a period of time where they would uh, torture me and beat me, when these postcards came to me from all over the world, someone, they started respecting me. So if you have a chance, please participate in this. May God bless you all. You know, I was um, working on the closing of the sermon this week, and I read a little bit of his story, and I was like, um, what do I say? <laughs> and, you know, when you hear stories, like, it's amazing the way that God moves in, in prayer, through uh, trusting in the values of Jesus' kingdom, of following after Christ, and trusting in his faithfulness that God was with David this whole time. But one thing really jumped out to me uh, in his story, and that was consistency. He was consistent. Regardless of the circumstance, he was consistent in his faith. He was consistent in giving respect and dignity to others. He was also consistent in not renouncing what he believed. He was consistent in sharing the gospel, even when it meant death, possibly. He was consistent in prayer, even when he didn't feel like praying and was looking at God like David in the Old Testament did, like, God, have you forsaken me? Like, what's going on? And yet he was consistent. No matter the circumstance, he remained consistent. And what we see in his story and the stories of many others is that 
in consistency, you begin to see God's faithfulness. You know, and I've heard Wade tell me that he asked David if he could go back and do anything different, if he could act different, if he could, you know, say something different to alleviate some of the persecution and the torture and the beatings and being in the isolation cell in negative 20 degrees, would he? And his answer is no. And it's hard to think like that because when you think about his story, you think like, just don't say anything. You know, like you've been saying enough and now that's why you're in prison. Just be quiet, be to yourself. Don't share anything. If you share the gospel, you may get killed. If, you're, if you do anything out of line, like this could be bad. So just be quiet. And yet he was consistent and God was faithful. And through that, God has brought to David flourishing and fulfillment and joy and happiness and many, many things. Now, it wasn't an easy journey to get there. Persecution is not easy, obviously. But God has blessed him. And not only has God blessed David, but God has used David to be a blessing to us. I'm sure you feel the same way that I feel, which is, wow, what a blessing to hear the way that God moves in powerful, powerful ways. You know, at the very end of this section of Jesus' sermon, at the, after he talks about persecution, he transitions into a very famous passage where he talks about salt and light. And he says, be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. It's very applicable because he's coming right out of the eight blessings of Jesus's culture, of his kingdom. And then he says, essentially, now go, be salt and be light. Live these out by being salt. And what is salt? Salt brings flavor and it seasons that which it touches. It mixes with something and it brings flavor and enhances it. You know, you don't eat salt by yourself. If you eat salt by yourself, you have a problem. 100%. You mix salt with something else. And when you mix salt with something else, it brings out its flavor and enhances it. And Jesus says, be the salt of the earth. And then he says, be the light of the world. Which if you turn on a light in an empty room and close a door and leave, that's useless. No one's going to see it. No one's going to enjoy it. It's doing nothing. You're just wasting money on your electricity bill. You see, light is to be strategically located, and it's to be available so that people may come into its warmth. People may be able to see what it illuminates. So when you're the light of the world, it's, it's, it's not to be hidden. It's to be available, and it's to be accessible, and it's to bring warmth and to illuminate that which should be seen to those who are around. And Jesus at the, through the very beginning of his sermon, is looking at you and me, and, and he's saying, listen, I've now shared with you the values of my kingdom. You know what my culture looks like. I've given you the eight blessings. Now go be salt. Go mix with people. Bring flavor. Look to bring flavor to others, to pour out your life for the sake of others. Be light, be strategically located and available that people might see and enjoy the warmth and see what they're meant to see when light casts out darkness. And the promise here is two things. When you do this, there will be persecution. But 
that persecution is coupled with blessing. As hard as it is to, to understand, in the midst of that, even in the midst of persecution, there is fulfillment and flourishing and blessing. And, and Jesus says this. He says in verse 11, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You know, sometimes when we hear the word persecution and then you hear stories like David's, one, you're grateful that you're not fearful of that. But secondly, you think that, well, I guess I'm never going to face persecution unless I move to a place where it's in your face. But Jesus here lets us know that persecution is also when people uh, say things falsely against you, when they revile you. So persecution can be criticism. It can be people ignoring you, people leaving you out, people uh, judging you and, and treating you differently because of your faith. That's also persecution. And so if you're not persecuted for your faith, if you've never experienced that, if you've never been left out or felt ignored or you've been mocked or criticized or judged because of your faith, then what Jesus is getting at is he's saying you might need to reevaluate whether or not you are living out like the salt of the earth and the light of the world because the natural outcome is, is always persecution. And it's really, really easy to hide, right? It's really, really easy to hide your faith, to hide the light, to not mix with others because we walk into work and we say, I want to work and life separation. So it's like we kind of walk into work, we're like robots, like I have no emotions or beliefs. I'm just here to do a job, you know? We, we don't want to mix too much. And especially at work, we are focused on achieving things for ourselves, not bringing flavor to others. So we hide also our faith. We don't want people to really get involved because we may face persecution, right? Maybe left out, not invited to lunch, treated like the weirdo in the office. And yet Jesus tells us to be consistent, to be salt and be light and trust that living out the culture and the values of Jesus' kingdom will in fact bring blessing. That's the act of faith that is, is given to us here. And it's calling us to really, tr do we trust that God's kingdom and the way that he has set out things, if we're made in his image and he's put us here for a purpose, do we trust that his kingdom will actually deliver what he promises it will? Do we really trust that his kingdom and following according to his blessings will in fact bring blessing? Even though we can't figure out how persecution can bring about blessing, do we trust that Jesus is right? Do we trust that it can happen? And, you know, if you get to the place and you sense, you know, okay, like, I understand I should trust that these blessings that Jesus lays out will, in fact, produce flourishing and fulfillment, even persecution. I should be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But, like, what happens when I'm going through persecution? Because it's not easy it's not like you should like get excited about it. So what do I do then? Because I feel like if that starts to happen to me, I'm going to get tired and I'm going to get bitter and I'm going to get angry. And Jesus says in verse 12, right after, he says, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. And so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In the midst of persecution, Jesus says that your response as a person of faith, if that is you, is to rejoice. Rejoice. 
You notice in David's story, there are some things that are a part of it that helped him through. What did he say as he's facing persecution that most of us could never imagine? Pain and struggle and fear that we've never imagined. And yet what he said that carried him through was when his wife would come with scripture memorized and recited to him. And then when he would pray the Lord's Prayer and pray even when he felt like he couldn't. When he rejoiced through the word of God and through prayer, it's what carried him through. And the same response is given to us in the midst of persecution. We're to rejoice. We're to worship. John Stott, who's an Anglican priest, he says this. How did Jesus expect his disciples, which is us as well, to react under persecution? In Matthew 5.12, he said, rejoice and be glad. We are not to retaliate like an unbeliever, nor sulk like a child, nor lick our wounds in self-pity like a dog, nor just grin a bear it like a stoic, still less pretend like we like it, like a masochist. What then? We are to rejoice as a Christian should, even leap for joy. We're to be consistently salt and light, living out the blessings of Jesus' culture, the values of his kingdom, and when persecution comes, because it's the natural outcome, we're to rejoice. Now, I don't know if you're sitting here and you're thinking to yourself, like, why do any of this? Right? Like, if the natural outcome is persecution, why do any of it? Like, I'm just going to stay away from this, you know? Because I still can't wrap my mind around blessing and persecution. So I'm just going to do me, you know? I'm just going to keep doing my thing because I'm not experiencing persecution. And I don't want to, be honest. Why? You know, Jesus is speaking to people in this passage that have encountered him by faith. He's speaking to people that have encountered a relationship with God, that have kind of realized now by faith you are a part of God's kingdom. You've been invited into an eternal kingdom that you didn't earn, you didn't deserve, and you really have no reason to be there except by faith in the death and the resurrection of Christ. And when you find yourself there in Jesus' eternal kingdom by faith, you're changed Things change about you. You want to live according to your king. You begin to realize like the things that Jesus is saying are in fact true. I should trust that the blessings that Jesus gives will in fact produce the things he promises. Until you, so you take one step at a time in faith, trusting Christ because you've experienced the overwhelming love and faithfulness and goodness of God. And so you begin to build your life one step at a time upon his kingdom instead of upon the kingdoms of this world that tell us and promise us the same thing, but in very different ways. That's why you would trust it. Logically, no, don't trust it. By faith, you should trust it. Because Jesus is being honest and he's being truthful. And when we hear stories like David's, you can see God's faithfulness. And you can see how God has surrounded him. He's here today and has no idea how he got let out of prison. I love what he said. He wants to believe that it was a call from heaven. By faith, we receive this and we say, Jesus, you know, I'm going to trust you. Not excited about the persecution piece. I'll be honest. But I'm going to trust that if I live according to your kingdom and be salt and light, that you're going to bring blessing. I want to encourage 
uh, all of us and myself as well, with two action steps tonight. And the first one is this. If you are a person of faith, is to ask yourself, where can you be more consistently salt and light? Where can you be more consistently salt and light? Where are you not mixing with others? Where are you not bringing flavor because you're too focused on bringing flavor to yourself? What are you hiding and what are you not making available in terms of your faith and the light that is within you? Where can you begin to live out these blessings in your life? And then the second action step and encouragement is to love your church. When I say that, most of you are immediately thinking this church, which is great. We love each other. It's a great church. And you should love this church too. That'd be awesome. But when I say love your church, I don't mean this particular church. I mean the universal church. I mean the brothers and sisters in Christ in Central Asia and many other regions of the world to love your church. And there's two ways you can love your church. One is pray. I love what Wade said earlier, that prayer is effective. It's not a magic pill, but it is effective. And God listens to his church as his church prays for others. And we should be praying for our brothers and sisters who are being tortured in prison or at fear and are right now worshiping and are are wondering if someone's going to break in and take them. We should be praying for them because the truth is this. We are one universal persecuted church. And our persecution looks different in different places, but we are one universal persecuted church and we should be praying for each other. And we should also be advocating simply for each other. I'm going to give you a very simple and practical way that you can advocate for somebody, a brother in Christ that right now is being held in prison. So I want you to watch this video, and I'll share with you what that looks like. Special forces have broken into our church. Beat the believers, threaten our women, and intimidated our children. Your Committee on National Security, along with the officers from the Committee on Religious Affairs, conducted a search in our church and found two books, a collection of Christian hymns, and a book by American author Josh McDowell, More Than a Carpenter. These books were declared extremist material. My punishment for storing them along with seeing the Christian hymns, was a three-year prison sentence. I was forced to leave behind my wife and three children who are devastated by the mockery of your special service over justice. The congregants of our church are being fired from their jobs for being Christians and attending our church. Mr. President, I urge you 
to rectify this brazen injustice and free me from my unlawful sentencing. And stop the practice of persecuting Christians in Tajikistan. I am Bakran Hamatev. I am Bakran Pongtong. I am Bakran Palmatov. 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 Tonight, uh, when you leave, when we close our service, uh, we're going to have these cards in the back, the very same cards that David talked about uh, receiving. And uh, we're going to ask you to take one, and it's very simple. You just have to put your name and signature and put a postage stamp and, and put it in the mail. And this is uh, for advocacy for, uh, for Bakram and his release. And if you notice some of the people in the video, it's because one of our community groups shot that with Wade, uh, with their organization. And as well, as I said, there's a, a table in the back for you to, to meet with them and hear more later. But I'm going to pray for us as we close our service. And um, I want to encourage you as I, as I pray and as I welcome the band up uh, and we come to the table to remind ourselves that we don't serve uh, a God who is removed but who empathizes us with us in our weakness uh, and our persecution as a universal church because Jesus broke his body on our behalf and he shed his blood for us. So will you pray with me? Lord, we thank you that you are faithful to us. God, that we can celebrate tonight your love even as we process heavy and, and, and difficult things. And so we ask, God, that as we come to your table, as we begin to close our time of worship together, that we would come thinking not only about our own sin and our own brokenness that you have paid for, but also our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, that need uh, your love and your faithfulness poured out on their life as well. And we know that you have promised to be faithful. So we come to you in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.